The Commonwealth Club of California congratulates the class of 2021. We know how much you want to stay connected with the issues and influencers that matter most. That's why we are offering all high school and college graduates in the class of 2021 a free one-year membership to the club. From politics to social justice, climate to pop culture, membership at the Commonwealth Club opens up new worlds of learning and the chance to interact in person and online with today's headline makers and people like yourselves who care about what's going on in the world. Claim your free membership at commonwealthclub.org slash grads. And join us. We look forward to seeing you at the club. Welcome to the Michelle Miao Show at the Commonwealth Club of California. I'm John Zipperer, the club's vice president of media and editorial, and Michelle's co-host for this program. For those of you who are joining us for the first time, the Commonwealth Club is a 118-year-old nonpartisan, nonprofit organization dedicated to the civil discussion of important issues of the day. Any of views expressed here are those of the speakers. Now we're producing hundreds of programs a year, even during the pandemic. So head over to CommonwealthClub.org/mms for all upcoming programs, online and in person. Um, but you'll also find podcasts and videos of our past events. And keep your eyes open for the rollout of a new Michelle Miao newsletter coming soon. If you're watching us live on YouTube, use the chat box to submit questions for our special guest today. Now, it's my pleasure to announce or introduce Michelle Miao, who is the host and the producer of the Michelle Miao Show and a member of the Commonwealth Club's Board of Governors. Good to see you again, Michelle. Great to see you, and thank you, everyone, so much for joining us this afternoon. If this is the first time you've joined us for the Michelle Miao Show, the Michelle Miao Show is your A through Z covering the LGBT, LMNOP, and everyone in between. Today, we have a great program for you in which we'll discuss LGBTQ bullying in schools or youth LGBTQ bullying. Our guest is Kabir McNeely, who is an award-winning American actor who grew up in San Francisco he began his acting career in 2015 when he played a supporting role in Ruth, a student short film. Since then, he has trained extensively with the American Conservatory Theater. In 2020, he wrote and directed a, an award-winning short film, Blue Girl, which he also appeared in. This year, he has released Blue Girl 2025 and Pink, Purple, and Blue. Before we begin our program with Kabir, let's watch the award-winning short film, Blue Girl. Hi. Hi. Are we the first ones? I I think so. We always are. Yeah. I'm so looking forward to when we can be in person again. Me too. Hello. Hello. Hi. Uh, you you guys, I have to tell you something. What is it? Hey. Never mind. Katie, you look like such a boy today. No, she doesn't. Shut up. Hi. Hey, Jenny. Hey, girl. How are you? Oh my gosh, we have to go shopping. Yes, girl. Hey. Hi. Hi. Hello. Why does Katie always look so boyish? I saw her staring at Joanna at prom the other day, looking at her all funny. <laughs> I think she's a- You do realize your audio is still on, right? Sorry. I'm sorry. Hey, we're sorry. Hey. Hello. Hi. Hello. Hi. Uh, where's Valerie? Hi, everyone. I'm so sorry I'm late. It's been a long day, so I'm glad we have this time to talk about it. 
So I was told by Katie the other day that she has something she wants to share with us. Go ahead, Katie. <laughs> Everyone, let's pay attention to Katie. Um, uh. What is it, Katie? Um, I. Um, uh. Stop. Stop. A anyways, I think I want to say something. Say it. Um, I, I, I think I, um, I think I like girls. I knew it. Wait a second. You mean you're a lesbian? Obviously, I support her 100% on her journey. We support her on- And blah, blah, blah. Tamara, stop. We have to be supportive. I'm really happy for you, Katie. Can't believe this. I have to go. Connor, please. <laughs> That's what you deserve, Lezzy. Mara, stop it now. This is why I kept this from you. I'd like to remind all of you that we have a zero tolerance policy for bullying in this space. So it's not bullying to exhibit homosexual behavior in this space? Mara! I'm sick of this stupid diversity policy. Mara, I'm sorry. You should be. People like you are the reason these meetings are no longer fun. Mara, I didn't mean it. So now you don't mean it? That's not what I'm saying. You're a liar. Mara, I- You need mental health. I'm sorry. And you have reason to be. Katie, you have no reason to be sorry. No, you really don't. And you definitely don't need mental help. She's the one who does. Clearly. Yeah, Connor and Mara don't understand what you're going through. And you do? I'm bi. Oh, I just thought since- It's okay, it's okay, I get it. A lot of people think I'm straight. <laughs> I'm really proud of you, Katie. Thanks. And Chloe, of course. Alright, well, this is getting really awkward. Can we change the topic now? <laughs> Kabir, welcome. Thank you so much for joining us here at the Commonwealth Club, and thank you for that film. Brilliant, brilliant, brilliant film from the thank script you. to the acting to everything. Yeah. Uh, why don't we start with you and getting to know you a little bit before we talk about the film and your work. Share with us your coming out story. Um, yeah, so I remember it was a high school assembly, um, and it was it was um, one of the visibility days. I believe it was September 25th or something like that. Um, and so I had reached out a few days before saying I wanted to just talk about visibility. I didn't say that I was going to come out or anything because I didn't even know that I was. Um, but then the night before, as I was nervously writing my speech, my the five minutes that I had, um, you know, I just thought it would be much more personal um, coming from someone who could identify because um, there are a lot of straight people at my school um, who talk about visibility and who make these sorts of announcements um, like the leaders of the QSA and people like that. Um, and so I thought for me it was really important to identify myself, um, and so I I did. Um, and at the end, everyone was really supportive. I got a standing ovation, which is great. But at the same time, you know, you do have to think about why I got the standing ovation, and it's because 
you know, it's unusual. It's not something that people are used to hearing. Um, and so I do think it's important to, you know, be visible so that these kinds of things are not unusual. You know, being LGBTQ plus, in my opinion, um, should be the same kind of normal thing as talking about, you know, how old you are, or the city you were born. Um, you know, it, it shouldn't have to be this big thing. And I think the fact that it is, is a testament to how um, much people aren't used to it, even in California. You mentioned uh, getting a standing ovation after this. What were you expecting to get? And were you kind of worried there would be a Mara type response from some folks? I was response. prepared for the worst, but also not really expecting it because it's California. The school's very accepting. Um, but, you know, I, I was prepared that there might be some people that uh, wouldn't like me after that. But I think for me, visibility was more important. Let's talk about bullying in schools. Um, do you want to share with us maybe even your own experiences? Were you experiencing any bullying prior to Visibility Day? Um, not at high school, um, but at middle school there was some. Um, because um, I um, started presenting myself a little bit differently in eighth grade. I think I, I always wanted to come across as this very masculine sort of dude kind of persona. Um, that's just not mine. Um, and so in eighth grade, I sort of stopped um, playing to that persona and embraced my artsiness as a, as a male. Um, and a lot of people weren't accepting of that. I remember there was a, pant, a pair of pants that I would wear um, that it was pink and it had like green flowers on it. Um, and, you know, I wore it because I liked it, which is why people should wear clothes. Um, not because of you know, what other people think, but several people, you know, said um, that the pants were kind of wacky, which they were, um, but then there were comments like, you know, why don't you wear this for Wacky Wednesday or like you don't want to look like a clown or whatever. Um, so I think that's sort of the tipping point where it becomes bullying for me. How did your interest in the arts and, and I guess eventually specifically filmmaking, do you know where that kind of originated from? And was it, did you recognize that this is an area where, you know, you would be able to express yourself and, and maybe even find a bit of a refuge from some other parts of life? Yeah. So it started um, when I was seven years old. Um, one night, my dad, um, who I think you've had on the show before, um, told me a bedtime story, which I really liked. And the next day, um, my dad was free off work and it was just him and I at the house. 
And so I just sort of picked off up my iPad and I narrated the story and I sort of made him act it out as I narrated it. Um, and, you know, obviously because it was very unplanned and all and, you know, made on an iPad, it wasn't, you know, a great film, but it was a great experience. Um, such a cliched thing to say, but it's true. Um, you know, to be able to do something spontaneously and sort of find true enjoyment in doing it. Um, and I would go around school calling myself a child actor um, because I narrated it and I took that very seriously. Um, and, you know, I, I think my teacher sort of had to pull my head out of the clouds after a while. Um, but, you know, it, it's always fun for a seven-year-old to sort of think that they finally made it at, you know, something that they enjoy. Let's talk about Blue Girl, the film, and the inspiration behind it. I mean, it's so interesting because when you released this film we were pretty much going into lockdown and it looks like it was shot in zoom rooms everybody (laughs) has been in zoom for the last year um but you still felt like you were on campus still felt like this is this is how you know kids might behave these days because this is how campuses work um It's interesting because a lot of, well, I'd actually never met anyone um, until after the film was done um, because then we started doing screenings and things when I got to meet some of the people um, virtually, um, but it was still nice. Um, So it's very interesting because a lot of people spoke about uh, the chemistry between the people, which is quite a weird thing to hear because we were all acting in front of our camera phones or computers, you know, and it's sort of a compilation of self tapes essentially, uh, which were put together to make a film. And how did you come up with the idea to do this in the first place? And then, decide okay I'm going to do it and here's how I'm going to do it and then to get the people to to, uh, actually participate in it I mean what was the the behind the scenes story on this um so a bit selfishly it actually started with Connor um I don't know it's just the kind of character I wanted to do um and so then I started to flesh out everything else Um, and it became a story um, and it takes place on Zoom, which is perfect because it means that we can do it without, you know, having to meet in person and follow these strict COVID guidelines for everything. Um, And, you know, it also gave me exposure to an international cast, which is something um, that you could never ever do on a low budget, um, you know, if it's an in-person film. 
let's talk about the script. And I assume that you wrote the script for the film as well. Yes. And uh, if that had truly happened in real life, or if that those are experiences of young people these days who are LGBTQ. Absolutely. Um, I mean, the unfortunate reality is that, you know, not all schools are supportive of LGBTQ plus youth. Um, And a lot of schools like this one, of course, have, you know, people in it um, who are very vocal about their hatred. Um, And, you know, it's unfortunate because it affects young people's self-esteem. It affects the way that they look at themselves and that identity that they have that they're being bullied for. And I think that's the thing is a lot of these people don't really understand um, the long-term impact of, you know, what their bullying can have on people, which is why I made Blue Girl 2025, the sequel, um, because I wanted to explore the long-term impact for this character. Um, And, you know, we see her um, struggling to come out to her own mother um, because of this incident. Um, So it it really does have um, very large side effects. In in the original short film, uh, Blue Girl, the, I guess she's the teacher, is it Valerie? Who's, who's kind of guiding this, and she kind of belatedly tries to rein in Mara and, and some of the the others, but in the most oblivious kind of, and out of it way possible. Yes. Well, and she kind of lets the insults go on for a while, and I'm I'm I'm, and it kind of reminded me of, and I don't recall who this was. And this will sound like a wonky aside, but someone had once done a, a kind of an examination of fairy tales from like Europe and America, I think they might have been Canada separately, but what they were kind of focusing on was the role of adults in it, and how in American, uh, you know, the the adults were almost childlike, they were looking at like the Wizard of Oz, Um, and it was either Canada or Britain where the adults basically weren't there, or if they were there, they kind of didn't really, they weren't controlling things, they were just kind of like, almost like parents in a Peanuts cartoon, right? Talk a bit about, obviously we're going to be talking about a lot about bullying and the, the bullied and the bullies, but talk a bit about what parent, what adults, parents and teachers and others can do and should be doing when it comes to bullying in high school and elsewhere. And maybe, you know, are there things they're doing wrong that they maybe think are good, but are actually not helping? Yeah. Um, first thing is this idea of diversity of thought. Um It's a great thing, Um, and I think a lot of people take it too seriously sometimes. Um, Yes, it is great to have people in a conversation that don't agree with you. Um, I think in this day and age, especially with social media, it's um, too easy sometimes to only surround yourself with people who agree with you. So I do think diversity of thought is 
you know, a great thing. Um, but it doesn't excuse hate speech. And I think a lot of times, um, you know, teachers and any sort of facilitator, um, they use diversity of thought as an excuse sometimes to allow um, hateful um, language and hateful conversation and also to allow misinformation and people who are not telling the truth. Um, and when people are being dishonest or hateful or both, um, then they need to be left out of certain conversations. Um, you know, in this situation, you know, a responsible teacher would have kicked Mara out, kicked Yara out for that horrible off-camera gossip, kicked Connor out for this whole thing. You know, they never should have been able to do all of the things that they were doing. It's very interesting when you start reading um, trends and research and even some fact-based research, right? That, you know, people younger are coming out younger and and schools now are implementing more, um, as you had mentioned, right? Like more education, more training, but there are lots of schools who also lack that. My question is around how young people feel or talk about like bullying, like in, I think generations before um, we can talk about being bullied for appearing gay or lesbian. And you had talked about that, right? But how are, how are young people bullying each other when it comes to LGBTQ youth today? Like what would constitute it? Like what, uh, for example, this saying that's so gay. Uh, lots of young kids who are not LGBTQ think that using it is cool, but it can be very offensive to LGBTQ students. Yeah. Um, well, first of all, I'll say to anyone who says anything like that's so gay or no homo or the F slur or anything like that, um, it's not funny. Um, I think one form of uh, what I would consider to be bullying is through TikTok and Instagram. You know, you see a lot of these influencers doing pranks. Um, you know, I told uh, my partner that I'm trans prank. I come out as gay to my parents prank. Um, so, you know, LGBTQ plus people um Transgender women of color, particularly, are killed um, for being gay or lesbian or bisexual or transgender or anything else on the LGBTQ plus spectrum. Um, and a lot of people think it's funny to turn it into pranks. Um, I think that is one thing that really... Um, upsets me. It's not exactly direct bullying, but it has the same message and it turns a very serious thing for a lot of people into something that's funny. Um, and so I think it sort of has the same effect as bullying in a lot of ways. 
and you know with the rise of TikTok, more youths going on Instagram, it just becomes more and more pervasive. When you make your films, are you thinking the primary audience, at least that's really going to connect with it and learn from it, is going to be the targets of the bullying? Or do you think people who are doing the bullying are apt to be listening, watching it and, and learning from it? Yeah, I I make it just for, you know, young adults and teenagers. Um, you know, that is the target. Um, and, you know, how whatever people's stances are on this, I, I think all, all um, middle school and high school and college students should be exposed to things like this. Um, no matter what their stance is. Um, and I think, you know, the great thing um, about showing it to everyone is that they not only understand the, the impact of bullying, but they also understand the impact of allyship. Because um, there are a lot of bystanders out there um, who let this kind of thing happen. Um, and so, you know, I think whatever people's thoughts are, they should all be exposed um, to this kind of education. I guess when it comes to the people who are actually doing the bullying, do you think most of it is, I don't want to say unintentional, but I mean, it's, it's they're, they're doing it, and therefore when they see that, oh, that's really a harmful thing, they will change, or do you think it's this, and I, I see, I'm unfortunately, I've seen more of this where people are like reacting to being told that they're, you know, being, saying something racist or, or horribly insulting and they double down on it because it kind of almost kind of going back to what you were talking about earlier about, um, you know, diversity of thought. I was like, well, you know, this is a badge of honor for me that I'm, I'm, you know, owning the libs or whatever it is they want to complain about. Um, so maybe I, I, and I, so I might just be kind of saying I'm more pessimistic about the ability to change a bully, but, uh, tell me your thoughts on that. Yeah. First of all, they're just, cause art is very indirect. You know, I'm not actually talking to these people. Um, and there are certain minds that can't be changed through a short film. And I'm not trying to change those people's minds. Um, it is a piece of art that is made for people who are willing to receive it and listen to it and accept it. And for those who aren't, they're not going to get anything out of it. Um, and really, there's just nothing I can do about that. Um, but I made the piece for people who are willing to watch it and listen to it and accept it for what it is. I. I think that, you know, the film will help um, young people or people your age or younger kind of see themselves. And if they are um, involved in bullying behavior, hopefully they can see like, oh, well, maybe I am being a bully and I don't want to be that jerk. <laughs> you kind of might be saving young people from growing up to be jerks. Because in my opinion, it's like the adults sometimes are the problem, which right, you've demonstrated in the film and kind of have to check themselves and their behavior and, and um, 
So that's what I love about the film is that, you know, it's not, like you said, it's not just for anyone age group. Um, talk to us about the importance of having support. Like you mentioned your dad and being supported from the get go and, you know, and, and also having support of your family as an LGBTQ person. First of all, let's just talk about the statistics here. Transgender identifying youth are far more likely to commit suicide um, or even attempt it um, when their parents are not supportive of them. Um, And, you know, I think parents need to hear that. Um, even if they're not accepting of the LGBTQ plus community, um, you know, I think a lot of them still um, want their kids to live a long life. Um, And so I think um, parents need to understand that by not being accepting, um, they are putting their child in harm's way to do terrible things to themselves Um, because parental opinions, you know, they affect um, a young person and even an adult child's self-esteem, self-worth, happiness, ability ability to succeed, um, and, you know, an overall feeling of worthiness. Um, And, you know, when the parental opinion of any part of their identity um, is not accepting, it's very, very harmful. Um, And, you know, in terms of having a supportive system, it's also great to just have someone to talk to when someone isn't being supportive, Um, you know, when someone is not being accepting of you, there's nothing more devastating than to find yourself in a situation where you have nobody to talk to. One of our viewers writes, uh, you are fortunate that you recognized who you are at a young age. I didn't come out to myself until I was 40. I told my mother and she replied, so you finally figured that out, huh? After you spoke to your high school assembly and, and came out, Did you have any of your fellow students come up to you and say, wow, I I couldn't do that. I'm, I'm gay, bi, trans, whatever. Um, You know, what sort of feedback did you get on that very local level from your willing to put yourself out there and be visible? There is actually someone, I didn't find this out until several months later um, when I, um, Every year at the school has like DEI events for um, incoming students. And so that um, that year um, during a DEI event, there was an LGBTQ plus space. Um, and this student was originally planning on going to a racial affinity group, um, but they changed their mind and they told me there um, after coming out to the whole group of people who was Um, at that space um, that I helped that person um, by coming out myself to become uh, more comfortable and also for them to witness the school um, being that accepting of someone that 
you know, they felt more ready. Who are some of your, um, I guess, heroes, sheroes, or people who inspire you as LGBTQ people today? Yeah, um, I would say Laverne Cox is, um, you know, truly amazing in everything that she does. Um, And, you know, to see... To see a transgender woman, particularly a Black transgender woman, um, take on the kinds of roles that she takes on um, is truly incredible. And I think the great thing about some of her roles is that, you know, while she is a transgender woman, um, the role isn't just that trans woman type. Um and that her characters are fully fleshed out. Um, and, you know, also how vocal she is um, about all these different issues. Um, recently with IMDb um, and how they list their actors' names, um, you know, I think the fact that a celebrity had to um, mention that is really quite unacceptable. Um because IMTV is a very public platform for any actor or filmmaker, anyone like that. Um, and people um, who have a profile should be able to represent themselves how they want. Um, so with the release of these, these films you've been making, what sort of reaction have you been getting? I would assume you've been getting both obviously supportive and unfortunately, probably some negative feedback that's being the world today. What's it been like? I mean, first of all, it's just part of putting out art into the world. Um, You know, people don't like art. It's a very subjective kind of thing. So even without the LGBTQ plus aspects, you know, I was still really opening myself up to a lot of um, negative feedback. And I got some. Um, and, you know, some of it is hateful, um, you know, people who don't understand why these stories need to be told. I think that's a a lot of what causes this hate and bullying is a lack of understanding and a lack of exposure. Um, you know, I didn't even know, um, in my middle school, um, cause they never talked about it, what transgenderism was. I didn't know what bisexuality was until eighth grade because all they would talk about up until that point was just homosexuality. Um, And it's great that they're talking about homosexuality because a lot of schools aren't even at that point. Um, And at the same time, you know, I was already 13, you know, when I was in eighth grade. And I know 13 in general is a very young age, but, you know, to find out about these things, you know, 13 is too old. Um, You know, you're already sort of thinking about these things on your own, you know, sexuality and things because of puberty. And you're in a position where you're not even fully aware Um, which I think is very hard. 
Um, and, you know, because a lot of young people aren't exposed, they think this kind of thing is not normal. Um, and it is normal. And I think a lot of people who are hateful of the LGBTQ plus community have people in their lives, uh, best friends, romantic interests, sons, daughters, parents, um, you know, aunties, uncles, cousins, um, classmates, teachers, whoever, um, who they don't realize are a part of the LGBTQ plus spectrum. Um, which is why visibility is important um, because then people will realize, you know, the thing that they are fighting against, the thing that they are hating um, is right in front of them. So, and it exists everywhere. Right. It really, really does. It's interesting, you know, the, that when we talk about curriculum or we talk about programs in schools, um, not very many young people get a say. It's usually the adults who are making the decisions and not saying that like young people should come up with their own, you know, curriculum. But if you had a say, how, how would you improve or create a safer place for LGBTQ students? Like you'd mentioned, you know, it wasn't until eighth grade that you learned more about LGBTQ or, or sexuality um, but I'd love to hear your thoughts. How young do you think that we should start introducing at least stories of LGBTQ people? Before puberty. Um, I'm not going to say an exact age because every person is different. Um, and there are a lot of factors like body maturity and also the mental and emotional maturity of a person to understand these types of things. Um, and so there really is no one size fits all approach to this. Um, but, you know, people should be going into puberty knowing what sexual orientation is, knowing what gender identity is, having at least some understanding of the spectrum so that when they're navigating their identity, they know, you know, what it is that they're dealing with. And just to add to that, what about even just talking about LGBTQ people in history? Like if you were to put an identity on Harvey Milk, for example, if you knew about Harvey Milk before middle school, would that help? Would that be important? I did know about Harvey Milk before middle school. Um, and I think it's great, um, but I also think people need to look at who it is that they're um, talking about um, because a lot of times these figures that are represented are gay men, specifically cisgender gay men. Um, and there are a lot of LGBTQ plus figures, you know, from Stonewall um, and politicians who are um, LGBTQ plus women, um, LGBTQ plus people who are transgender. Um, and, you know, I think if we're talking about Harvey Milk and these other cisgender men who are gay, 
then why aren't we talking about, um, you know, lesbian people, transgender people in the same way? And also, why aren't we talking about bisexual people? Um, bisexual people make up um, more of the LGBTQ plus um, spectrum than any other LGBTQ plus identity. And yet it's the least represented in the media. I'm going to apologize for my internet connection. I've been knocked off twice here, so we'll see how long I get to stay on now. Michelle, you might end up finishing the program without me. But so I apologize if I mention anything you, you talked about when I was disconnected. Um, but uh, I want to kind of turn to, to filmmaking and the role it can play in addressing some of these issues. And it we, we talked earlier kind of about who might be list, watching it or, or and what they might be taking into it. Um, is Do you think, say, a documentary on uh, this topic is perhaps more effective or less effective than a fictional piece, whether it's intended as, as education or, or entertainment. I mean, any thoughts on just kind of the different modes of using filmmaking to explore these issues? I think one thing that's unique about documentaries um, is that it's nonfiction, um, of course. And, you know, I think exposing people to nonfiction stories um, that are diverse are, you know, obviously very important. Um, but I also think it's important for people to see themselves reflected in characters. Um, there's something very unique and special about being able to identify with someone, um, at least for me, just because I know they aren't real and it's just a true representation of, you know, me and people like me. And I think one thing is, you know, it's a responsibility on the actors too, um, not to accept, um, you know, certain roles, um, roles that are either outside of their race or, you know, taking on projects that don't reflect their um, moral or ethical values. I feel like with um, Blue Girl and and the rest of your films, you've defied the traditional meaning of filmmaking, right? And it, and all of that was before pandemic, but you've been able to produce and create this beautiful film that's award winning. And it's a short and people from around the world participated and you shot, you know, out of phone cameras and computer cameras. Do you think that filmmaking will change from here on out, you know, after the pandemic? Only time will answer that question. <laughs> um, I, I think, I think people are learning more ways to be creative and with less resources and I think that is a lesson and a, an experience that a lot of people will take moving forward. Um, I certainly have already um, sort of come to realize that. Um, and I think people will be making less excuses now 
um, you know, a common excuse is I don't have the right camera for it. Um, or, you know, I don't have a microphone, so I can't make a good film or not even a good film. I just can't make a film. Um, and that's not true. If you have, um, any sort of thing with a camera, uh, like a phone even, um, and a software to edit on, you can make a film, you know, you don't need money or, you know, a professional level camera. Um, and most people don't start out with all of that. And even casting, I think, um, to your point, you know, maybe hope, hopefully we don't return to the excuse of not being able to cast a trans person or a non-binary person or a gender neutral person. It almost seems like, you know, nowadays, just like you said, you can do it. Here is my message to those people who make that kind of ridiculous excuse. If you cannot find a diverse cast, it is because you are not casting a wide enough net to find these people. It is not because they do not exist. It is not because they are not interested in your project and the story that you have to tell. It is only because you are not properly doing your job to find um, people who can tell your story and cast a wide enough net for it. As you can see, I'm quite passionate about that. <laughs> well, in writing and producing and, and casting and directing your films and such, um, what do you, as, as a writer and editor, I often would get this question, do you see yourself more as a writer or an editor? What part of that do you like the most? Do you truly want to do it all? Or do you kind of see yourself more in the future focusing on acting or directing or writing? I love it all. I, d I definitely would say my main focus is acting. Um, but, you know, I, I, I do love the whole process. Um, you know, the writing, the editing, producing. Um, it, it just... There, there is something about being behind the scenes where you are really doing the work from beginning to end to bring an idea into fruition, um, which you don't get just by acting in other people's stuff. And so, you know, there is a rewarding feeling um, in doing that. I would say right now it's sort of happening with The Lies We Tell, which is my first um, feature it's premiering August 22nd um, especially because it's a feature you know just seeing it come together is such a rewarding experience that I would never have gotten if I was just an actor in it okay we can't let that go by with just a short mention tell us more about that film that's got to be exciting yeah it's great so the protagonist is actually um, a bisexual teenager. Um, and I, I think the great thing about it is that, you know, we know that she's bisexual, um, but it's not the only thing about her that we know. Um, you know, it's, it's very much a story, um, 
in which the main character just happens to be a bisexual woman of color rather than a story about a bisexual woman of color and you know the story just being focused on that i think we need to have more stories like it because it normalizes the whole thing and it shows a person's personhood and their humanity outside of you know just being lgbtq plus um and i get to play um a transracially adopted character um which is great cuz i'm transracially adopted i've never played it before um so it was a great experience to do that um and also to have a cast um that you know are mainly people of color um you know playing a blended family um it's you know all great now i really want to see it and i'm sorry if i missed it so how can we catch that film um yeah so it premieres um theatrically on august 22nd um i'll definitely send you the invite michelle if you want to go <laughs> Um and we are pursuing a streaming release at the moment. Tell us a bit about what the pandemic has been like for you. I mean, uh, both in in your art as well as just if you care to, you know, you personally. Um I mean the the air is so much fresher. That that is the first thing whenever you go outside. you know you don't smell all the smog um i'd say that's one thing um like a silver lining of this whole thing it is difficult um to be deprived of um human interaction in person for such a long time but we're getting back to that and you know it's exciting the lies we tell was shot in person um pink purple and blue which i released a little while ago was shot in person um and you know it it is difficult especially um to not be able to do what you love because a lot of films um are put on hold and they're very limited acting opportunities um throughout the pandemic outside of you know these virtual roles and you know voice over from home um but it's great i think it's forced people to be um more creative um and to find ways to do what they enjoy um you know without uh being able to go into an office or a studio and interact with others and have all of these resources that we used to have. So who are you dying to work with in the future? Like if you, you know, your dreams come true tomorrow, who are so, who would be in that circle, you know, working on a film of uh your dreams? <sighs> I think for me is you know the dream is the work for me not 
the person. Um, I, 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 you know, I really, I really think the, the dream for me is to continue to work with talented, um, professional, hardworking people who are good at what they do and who are all creative. And, you know, we all come together as a team to tell a story. Um, I, I think that's the biggest dream for me. Um, and it's already happened in a few projects. Um, and so I guess for me, it's really just continuing that um, with more incredible talent. You talked earlier about your first experience and getting inspired and in making your first uh, film. Um, what were the first films that you fell in love with that someone else made that you you just totally were captured by? Um, well, the first film that I've ever that I ever saw in theaters was the Cars movie, um, and you know when whenever you see a film in theaters for the first time, it always has a very special place in your heart. Um, so I, I would say that film um, and also the Toy Story movies, these are all like movies that you would never expect anyone above the age of like seven or eight to mention. Um, but, you know, it, it is always... Um, fun to see films that you enjoyed, um, you know, some of the first ones. Um, and, you know, they're always special in a way um, that more mature films that we start to gradually get exposed to just don't have. As we wind down, we always like to, you know, leave our audience with some um, aspirational you know, things from our guests. So we always ask questions like if you have any last words of advice, I would start with like last words of advice for adults in the education system. And when it comes to LGBTQ students. Exposure, exposing students um, to LGBTQ plus issues at a younger age um, and exposing the whole spectrum. It's not enough to just talk about gay men. Um, you know, exposing, um, the lesbian and bisexual and transgender, um, and queer communities, um, are also very important. Um, and also, you know, learning what the plus is in LGBTQ plus, um, and talking about that as well. Um, because those are all real identities that people, um, people will feel. And, you know, when they are having to learn about it as they're questioning it, it's much, much harder, um, than when they already know what it means to be pansexual or asexual um, or non-binary or anything else, you know, before they're starting to question those identities and see those as their own. 
And what advice would you have for people who want to, young people who are looking to get into films and, and video? Don't wait for other people. Um, you know, even if you just see yourself as doing, you know, one thing, like you're just a director, you're just an actor, whatever. Um, there's a certain experience from making films and doing the whole thing from beginning to end that they can't teach you in film school or, you know, in any class. It's, you know, there are certain things that you can only learn from making films um, and from being on sets and being a part of other people's films. Um, collaboration is very important. If you're not a good collaborator, um, you definitely have to work on that. Um, filmmaking is one of those things where, um, you know, a lot of people get to have a stroke on the canvas. Um, and so if you're the kind of person that wants to have a canvas to yourself and, you know, just make a film that's only yours, um, then you're not really going to do well. I'm sorry. Last question for you. So for everyone listening or who will watch this later and they want to follow you, they're dying to see your films, how can they do that? Uh, yeah, so you can follow me on Instagram, at Kabir McNeely, just my name, um, on Twitter and Facebook as well. Um, and my YouTube channel is Kabir McNeely. It's all um, very easy, just um, under my name. Um, and I believe my Facebook page is at Kabir McNeely Actor. Um, and my Twitter is at Kabir MCN. Well, I can't wait, you know, to witness that moment, um, you winning an Oscar and, you know, all these things that, great, amazing filmmakers, actors, artists, creators like you will win because, you know, I know that's going to happen. Thank you so much for your time here, Kabir, and for sharing with us your talent. Like I said before, such a gift. Everyone, please follow Kabir McNeely and all the work that Kabir is putting in and making it a better place for all of us. John? Thank you again to our special guest, Kabir McNeely, on this Michelle Miao show at the Commonwealth Club of California. Thanks to all of you watching or listening to us online. Feel free to share this video or podcast with friends, family, and others in your network. You can find more programs at commonwealthclub.org slash MMS. Stay safe and have a good weekend.